Savior and our healer, defender, redeemer, Jesus, we look to you.
amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I Shining eyes, the sign we've known flesh days to sing God's praise, and when we first begun.
is our hope It's just the longing of our souls To see you, to know you To worship you face to face Thank you God for this expectation that we can have to be gathered around your throne every nation every tribe every tongue every culture around the throne of god worshiping jesus that is our hope we long for that day we thank you that your grace will keep us faithful your grace will allow us to finish the race We look to you, Jesus. You are the author. You are the perfecter. The beginning and the end. And you will finish what you started. Hello everyone, welcome um, back to our series on Revelation. We're so glad you're here. For those of you that are watching and um, are thinking, why on earth does this pastor have a hoodie on? I thought it's great to have the orange color of shofar represented on the video. So Berger or Wesley might engrave a, a S on my chest on the video, edited in so that I, I look like a representative. Um, now I'm, 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 I'm only joking, but if you are judging me because of my hoodie, because you know the book of Revelation say that we might judge one another now, um, if you've misheard or heard that through anything, don't let it be a stumbling block. Okay, I'm formal in, in my mind. I'm very formal, I've got a nice shirt on. So, um, so if that's a stumbling block to you, I'm really sorry. Listen to the message, listen to the the content of the message and I hope um, it blesses you. Haven't you, you, haven't you in the past thought um, that, you know, as a Christian, we should have great treatment. There should people be treating us in a really nice and special way. Um, I, I was having a conversation this week with one of my friends and, and we were speaking about the days where in the summer or pre-lockdown, uh, we were getting up at half past four to go and exercise at five. And now it's, we're in Poch, it's cold, it's, I think this weekend it's minus five or minus four in the, in, on, in the night. And um, it's very dark at that time. And I don't know how on earth did we wake up at that time to go and exercise, not something you enjoy. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how that worked and what was motivating us, but that, that was happening before lockdown. Now it's changed. Um, now I'm doing it in a more decent hour. But uh, I was laughing. I was also having a conversation about waking early with someone else. And she said that her colleague used to say uh, mornings when they get into the, um, into, the, into the classroom, her colleague were, were saying that um, when they have to wake up at 5.30, start to get ready for school and their teachers, and the colleague said that um, shouldn't a Christian, a Christian shouldn't suffer like that. <laughs> Waking up so early, that's what I'm feeling now 
um, in lockdown um, in in winter that a Christian shouldn't suffer like that by waking up that early. But but this it's a joke, and we obviously laughed about it. And um, but don't we have that mindset sometimes that we as Christians we you know, we um, deserve great treatment from God because we are obedient, we're laying down our life, we're being witnesses, we're following Jesus. And then we think all of a sudden we think like, you know what, I, um, you know, I deserve great treatment. And I'm going to read to us out of Revelation 6 and it's going to show you that we do not. We, we cannot expect great treatment be, just because we say that we follow God. So if you've been listening to messages like that, where you, know, you, you believe that everything will be sorted out and you can um, just relax and Jesus will give you a great car and a great house and a great soulmate and all that, it, it's, it's really not true. Um, so I, I want to say maybe you should stop listening to that. And start to read the Bible and um, see that in Scripture there's actually a few times that Jesus says that we will suffer. Okay, a spoiler alert: we will suffer, we will be persecuted, and um, we also see that in Revelation six. So just just before we dive into to that, just a context again is in in the book of Revelation in chapter four we are in the throne room. Um, the curtain is pulled away and we're in the throne room and we see God on the throne around him. There's beautiful colors that display his character. Um, there's creatures all around him, worshiping him, four living creatures flying around him with eyes everywhere, beautiful things that you want to see in the night. And they're worshiping him. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's 24 elders uh, sitting on thrones um, around him and every time these creatures start to sing and worship they lay down their crowns and they start to worship as well saying holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and God in his right hand has this um, this paper a book roll is it in Afrikaans um, and this is the title deed to authority on earth to to the ruling of earth and um, there's one of the elders that asks a question in heaven and he says, who is there that's worthy to open the scroll? And they search for it in heaven, someone like that on earth and even underneath the earth. And they couldn't find anyone worthy, not fast enough or good enough in wrestling that could wrestle God for it. There's no one worthy to open the scroll. No one. They found no one. And John's reaction is beautiful. He starts to weep. To mourn okay mourning is is ugly weeping it's like it's bad it's on the ground it's tears everywhere why because the plans and the purposes of God for humanity is written on the scroll and no one can open it so now no one will know the plans of God for us um, because no one is is able to open this scroll and and John saw horrible things in the book of Revelation and this is the only thing that made him cry. So it's super important to open the scroll and for us to see what's written on the scroll and in the scroll. And then all of a sudden, one of the elders said, John, you should stop weeping. And he says, there is someone. We found someone. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to open the scroll. And then all of a sudden, John turns and he sees this lamb that was slain. He, he, he thought he was going to see the lion, but he sees a slain lamb on the throne. 
Um, and it's interesting, it says that, that when Jesus came to heaven, this was after his ministry, after the 33 years, the first time, it's just after he was crucified, when he appeared, stood up out of the grave and he appeared to Mary. That's when he, when he said to her, don't touch me if you want to put it in an earthly timeline, because we see, we see the, the heaven's perspective, but it's also something happening on earth. So on earth, um, we think that it was the time when he appeared to Mary and some of the disciples where he said, don't touch me, I sh I'm still going to my father. And then he, in heaven, he's in heaven, this lamb that is slain, he's, he's, he's the centerpiece of the attention of heaven. And then he walks over to God and he takes the scroll, he doesn't wrestle God for it. He, he, he doesn't ask, he takes the scroll because he's worthy. He's a, a man without sin. That was the prerequisite, a man without sin. And he opens the scroll and um, this, this, the, the plans and the purposes of God is revealed. But this scroll is, is, um, is locked basically with seven seals. And, and each one, as he opens it, represents something. And that's what we're, gonna, what, what we're gonna read now in Revelation 6, that as he opened the scroll, every seal that is open, something happens. There's a, there's a horse that rides whenever a seal is open. And we're gonna read what that means. But, and I, I'm gonna explain to you what that means. But what I want you to just again realize is the lamb, the centerpiece of heaven, he's slain, but he's on the throne. When he takes the scroll, Everyone starts to worship. That's their response. They start to sing a new song, Scripture says. A song of um, deliverance, a song, a prophetic song, a new song because it's a, it's a declaration that He is victorious. It's a song of victory. And they're singing that He is worthy. He is worthy. That's the song of heaven. They sing it and Jesus is on the throne, the lamb that was slain, but he's the ruler of the nations of the earth. And he's victorious and he is opening the scroll now. To, and, and we see the, the, the following things. What we're going to see is what happens when he opens the scroll. So I'm going to read to you Revelation 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. So first horse is a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. He came out conquering and to conquer. Now, there's a lot of theories about this, this white horse and the rider on the white horse. Some say it's the Antichrist and some say it's Jesus. Now, I want to just again explain to us that in the beginning, the first sermon, I said that when we read the book of Revelation, there's two disciplines of Bible interpretation that's very important to us. One is exegesis. The other one is hermeneutics. We cannot start with something and then change it halfway through the book because of popular opinion. Okay, so there's a lot of opinions that this is the Antichrist. But if we use those two disciplines of Bible interpretation, then we see that there's two white horses in the book of Revelation. The one is in chapter 6. The other one is in chapter 19. The one in chapter 19 is identified as Christ. There's a sword coming out of his mouth, the victorious Christ. And you will see, actually, in your English Bible, you will see the headings. Some of the headings say it's the false Christ. Um, 
uh, when the seal is open. Please ignore those headings because it's all also interpretation of the editor and not necessarily based on hermeneutics or exegesis. So please ignore that and, 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 and let's apply what the text is saying um, when we read the book of Revelation. So we cannot say that chapter 19, the white horse is Jesus on the horse. And then in chapter 6, for no other reason, it's different. Because it's still a white horse. And the rider on the white horse is Jesus. He's got a victorious crown. He's crowned and he's there to conquer and to conquer. He's conquering and he's busy conquering as he's riding this white horse. He's got a bow in his hand and he's shooting arrows. This is a representation of Jesus, the victorious one, after he's, he's actually um, he's crowned as the lamb on the throne, he's risen, he's, he's, he's victorious. And then this represents the gospel going throughout the earth as it's preached by followers of Jesus. And this rider on the horse is, is Jesus conquering the hearts of men as the words of the gospel is being preached and hearts are softened. So, so this is the arrow and the bow is the arrow is light that pierces darkness as the gospel is being, being preached. Darkness is being revealed. Light is coming. Light is coming. And everywhere this gospel is preached throughout the earth, people's hearts are receptive, either receptive to it. They bow before Jesus. They, they accept his authority. And because they accept his authority, they follow him. It's the preaching of the gospel. Or the other response, as we know, is that people say, I, I, I don't submit under the authority of Jesus. Um, I cannot receive this, these words. It's either too hard or I'm not ready or my flesh is still too strong or sin has still got a hold on me. But they reject the gospel and reject the authority of Jesus. And then we know, as we learned about grace, that you know, grace is there for everyone. It's, 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 it's available for everyone. It's available if we use it till the end of time. We can use it and use it and use it. It will never, it will never come to a place where there's no more grace. And then lastly, it is limited for those who reject it. It's limited for those who reject it. So we must remember this, that the Lamb is on the throne. He's victorious. He's, he's riding his white horse. And he, the gospel is being preached, and everywhere where the gospel is preached, hearts are being conquered. Like this piece said, hearts are being conquered for Jesus, for the kingdom. They're submitting themselves to the person of Jesus, and they're following him. Okay, that's the, that's the first horse, the white horse, um, with the rider on. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse bright red so the second horse is a bright red one its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so there's a kind of a war it's permitted who permitted him god permitted him everything that happens on earth god permits them um, so that people should slay one another and it was given a great sword the second rider the second horse a bright red one um, is speaking about a form of war a form of war. Now, um, this is um, this was very, very relevant for the first audience, the audience that received this book. 95 BC, these people were martyred for their faith. They were murdered. There, were no, there was no peace. They were persecuted. They suffered 
um, because of the gospel. So when they read this, they understand that where the gospel is preached, hearts are turned to Jesus, there will be persecution. So this war that the second rider on this red horse will bring is a war is the war of light and darkness. It's a spiritual war. It's not necessarily a physical war, but it's a spiritual war of light against darkness. It will not make sense. It will it will um, it will definitely be a part of our life. Now I want to I want to read to us Matthew a few scriptures that that Jesus said to his followers. Listen, guys. You will suffer. You will be persecuted. What they did to me, they will do to you. It will not be different. So if, if, we, if we listen to a gospel that say that it will always be, go good with us, you know, we will be blessed. Jesus actually says the opposite. He says you are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, not for stupidness sake, for righteousness sake. So you are blessed because of the testimony of Jesus and when you are persecuted for that testimony, then you're blessed. And he says our response to those to the persecutors is evidence of a heart that is bowed before Jesus. What is the response? Your response and my response should be one of let's bless them. Let's bless them because they don't know. It's, it's light against darkness. They, they are killing us. They're murdering us. But we want to bless them. We're not here for vengeance. Why? Because scripture says vengeance and revenge belongs to the Lord. Corinthians actually says that when we forgive people that sin against us, that um, persecute us, that God will heap burning coals onto their head. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it also says in Hebrews, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. <laughs> okay, so I'm not giving you um, bullets to, to think like, listen, I want revenge and I'm going to give them over to the hands of God because that's a fearful thing. Um, then your heart's not in the right place. Your heart must actually be in a place where, Lord, I'm submitted to the words of Jesus, to what he says, to his person, to his ministry. And he said that I should bless those who persecute me. So I'm going to bless them. The next time someone, someone persecutes you, you go and buy them something and you bless them with a gift. And then you see what it does to your heart and to their hearts. Just, be, just because you say, Lord, vengeance is yours. That's what scripture says. It's not mine to take. I'm not here to avenge myself. I'm not here to, to build a court case in my head and then to lay it all out before these people persecuting me. No, um, I'm to submit myself to you and to your words. And in that, doing that, I say that when I'm persecuted, I will bless. So when I'm persecuted, I'm not taken off God. It's something that I can expect because I follow Jesus. Matthew 10. I'm going to read to you Matthew 10, um, verse 34 to 36. It says the following. But the Pharisees said, let me just see. Yeah. The Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction. This is not the right verse. Um, <laughs> sorry. Matthew uh, I'm, in, I'm in Matthew 9. I should be in Matthew 10. Sorry, 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 sorry. Matthew 10 verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. This is the words of Jesus. Okay. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This doesn't sound right, <laughs> but it is. It's the words of Jesus. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus is saying, guys, the people that love you the most will persecute you. And I haven't come to bring peace between you guys. I've come to bring a sword. Sometimes the gospel will divide. It will divide friendships. It will divide us. It will divide families. Why? Because we pledge a loyalty to Jesus and not to the family. We, we're not there for tradition. We're not there to, to, um, to just be obedient to everything that they say. But we are there to be obedient to Jesus. And then we are a friend of God and not an enemy of God. And those that are enemies of God, even those in our household that is enemies of God, that's not following Jesus, they will persecute us. They will persecute us. Um, Matthew 20. Did I read Matthew 20 now? No, I didn't. Matthew 20. Verse 22 to 23, it says the following. Jesus answered, this is his disciples. Um, they asked their mother to ask Jesus to sit on his left and his right hand side. That's great godliness displayed there. Okay, If you are too afraid to ask yourself, you, you ask your mother because you think that Jesus will not be able to say no to older women. <laughs> okay, and it was actually his aunt. It was a tani. So he's, he's, the disciples says to their mother, Jesus' aunt, please go and ask him. We want to sit at his left and his right hand side. And this is his response. He says, Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. They didn't know what they're talking about. We are able, but then he said the following, you will drink my cup. You will drink, meaning you will suffer. You will be persecuted. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. It's not mine to grant. So Jesus is saying to these disciples, as he's saying to us, you will be persecuted. You will suffer like I did. 2 Timothy 3, last scripture I want to read to you. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says the following indeed all say all with me all you know what that word means in greek it means all it's not there's nothing hidden there it's all indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ every single one desires to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted you will be persecuted it's actually evidence of your salvation it's evidence that there's a different spirit living on the inside of you the holy spirit the spirit of christ and as they persecuted jesus they crucified him as they persecuted the prophets they 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 persecuted them they will persecute you as well you can expect it if it didn't happen to you yet it will it will maybe some of us that say listen i've never been persecuted maybe you are a lamp hidden under a basket. Maybe you should come out into the light a bit and say, listen, I'm following Jesus. This is my testimony. This is my story. And then you, you will see there's light versus darkness. It's when we are silent and when we've got nothing to say and when we never have an opinion about anything because we don't want to offend people and we're fearful for what they think, then no one will persecute you. Okay, because you're not really a threat. But when you start to speak up 
there will be a threat for the enemy and he will persecute you. His people will persecute you. Circumstances will, will, will sort of start to pressure you. And this is what happened to these Christians. There was so much pressure that the enemy tried, the, tried to pressure them so much so that they will lose their faith. They will start to ask, where is God in this? Why, why are we being murdered, persecuted, thrown to the lions? We don't have any work. We don't have any money. Why? Where is God? Is He here? And this revelation that Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm walking between the churches. You guys are sitting at the, um, around the throne. You are with me in heaven, but I'm also on earth with you. Um, this is the, the revelation. Um, so that was the, the second horse. Bright red one. There will be, there will be persecution. Now it's also important that if we interpret the first horse as something else, then every single one will be something different to what I say now. But it's important, it was important to the hearers of this message to understand that the, there's nothing wrong with the order. The, the, the lamb is on the throne, the gospel is being preached, the white horse, and on his heels are the red horse, there will be persecution. But it, it, it will feel to them as if the red horse is actually, um, you know, overtaking the white horse and destroying everything. But it's important for them to know that he is not in charge. Everything is in order. God is not confused because they're asking in the midst of their persecution, where is God? Is he still in charge? Yes, the lamb is on the throne as we saw in heaven. The gospel is being preached. Hearts are, are one for the kingdom. But then there is persecution. But God allowed it and he is still in charge. He's still in charge. We can expect that to happen to us. And then the third seal um, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. This, this is a black one, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, there's a lot of theories and opinions about this portion and this piece. It speaks of a kind of famine, a kind of hunger that's on the earth, in the earth. Now, the, the measurements they use in this portion of scripture um, and the price paid for this, this wheat and for the things to eat and drink is not, it's not expensive. It's normal. It's not that there's not enough. There is enough because they're speaking about the, the measurements they use is the normal amount a normal person will um, take uh, per day. The price they pay is a normal price. Okay, so this is important. So it's, it's saying there is enough food, there is enough money, but the problem is the believers don't have money because they cannot work because they, they refuse to bow their knee to do Minishanas, so they cannot get a libellus to do the work. So there is no famine there, but there's a famine under in the believers, in the community of the believers. Why? Uh, not because they, they, by, they, there's no food or there's a famine in the country. It's just for them. Why? Because they refuse to bow their knee to do Minishanas. They say we're loyal to Jesus. So there's a there's a, a kind of 
economic persecution that's going on. That's the third black horse. There's economic persecution. Today, on earth, as we listen to this message, I think the listeners will probably be those of us that doesn't live in persecuted countries. If it reached the persecuted country, know that we are praying for you guys and we honor you. But if it doesn't, which I suppose it will not, the, the listeners is those of us that's Christians in a Western world. We almost applaud it for the fact that we follow Christ. Okay, it's actually the norm. It's the culture. In, in some places, it's more liberal than others and they don't believe in Jesus. Um, and then the red horse, the persecution will be there. But for us listening to this, um, we're not aware of the realities of believers in other countries. If you go on the website of uh, um, an organization called Open Doors, Geopende Deere is the Afrikaans, they are uh, a company that ministered to persecuted Christians. There is today 220 million Christians on earth that's persecuted, actively persecuted by government or police for their faith. It's not allowed in their countries to be a follower of Jesus. So this message might seem irrelevant to you, but it's very relevant to the first audience and to a lot of Christians on earth today. They are being persecuted. They're being persecuted for their witness. If they say, I believe in Jesus, I follow him, they lose their jobs. They have to dug tunnels underneath the ground to actually have fellowship with one another in China and some of those communist countries. And some of our, our mission teams in Stellenbosch um, went to Iran and they must, you must listen to the testimonies. It's top secret if you want to have a church service. There can be no notice outside. The, the community actually gathers many times by word of knowledge where the leaders decide then they pray and they say, Lord, we're going to gather there. Please tell your people. And then everyone pitches that can listen to the voice of the Lord. If not, if you're still struggling, then you miss the church service. Um, and then the church services that's maybe in, in the town, not on a farm or in a shed or somewhere that they can freely worship and, and pray, um, is in a house. And the believers don't say a word. They worship. There's no lights. There's no cameras. There's no action. There's no band. There's no riffs. No nothing. Um, the worship is like this. No projector person. It's just them worshiping with no, no, no one leading them. And then they listen to a sermon. No one preaching. They just listen to the Holy Spirit all on the ground sitting. There's tears. There's repentance. There's deliverance. And you know how long the service is. It's not, it's not 45 minutes or an hour where we, you know, this guy should be finishing now, you know, the lamb chops, it must be bride. Um, it's not like that. It's three, three to four hours. And then when they come out, they speak about what the Holy Spirit revealed to them. And it's normally exactly the same thing that everyone heard. <laughs> it's God's church. It's Jesus' church. He's the main minister. He doesn't need us. And that's the reality for these Christians is that they are persecuted. They can be thrown into jail, murdered. Um, executed if someone find out that they are they are actually gathering as saints like scripture says we struggle to get people to a small group these guys dug tunnels 
dig tunnels underneath the ground to get to one another. They risk their life to gather together as saints. As scripture says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. So persecution might be weird to us, but it's a reality in a lot of countries, even today. Um, even today, we should pray for the persecuted church. The third, the third seal is the, is the black horse. Um, it's the black horse, this economic persecution. And then the fourth one, the fourth one um, says the following. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked and behold, a pale horse, <laughs> a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. Hades is a, um, it, it's not only hell, it's heaven and hell. It's those that, is, that have died. It's a, it's a collective word. It's everyone that's dead already. They follow him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, a quarter, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And the collective name for, for um, what happens here is, is um, Natirampe. Okay? I don't know what it is in English now. It literally slipped my mind. It is, it is devastation brought to earth through nature. A tsunami, a tornado, a pest, some other, a coronavirus, whatever. Viruses, anything. And, and this portion says to the Christians that they are not excluded from this persecution. They are not excluded from this, this, these things. It will happen to them as well. Um, in 2014, there was a tsunami, I think, in, in, in India. It happened on a Sunday. And on the coast, there were some of the churches that were gathering for a Sunday service. They were completely wiped out. Everyone died. Everyone drowned because of the tsunami. And that is exactly what this portion says. It says that when you're a Christian, that it will happen to you as well. It's not only to unbelievers. It's not only to those who resist and reject the authority of Jesus. It's to every single one um, and then the, the fifth one is a, an amazing amazing sight we see that there's an altar in heaven and underneath the altar there's the souls of the martyrs the souls of the people that's that died because they witnessed um, they, they were witnesses of Jesus for the gospel they died for the gospel the martyrs and they are in the presence of God, under, you know, around the throne of God. This, it's the most holy place. It's not a place where you have unclean thoughts. Okay, <laughs> It's a holy place and they ask a, a, a question that seems unholy to us. They ask God, they say, Lord, when will you avenge the blood, our blood from the, in, from the inhabitants of the earth? When will you avenge our blood? God doesn't rebuke them. They are not dead. They are still there. Uh, it, it doesn't come out of a place where they, they want revenge and they want it now. Because we see Jesus, when, when the people crucified him, he prayed. He said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what he, they're doing. It's a soft heart. It's blessing those who persecute them. Stephen, the first martyr, when they were stoning him, he prays the following. He says, Lord, bless them, forgive them. Paul was standing there. Forgive them. We see Jesus standing in heaven, responding to what's happening on earth. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And probably the, the accounts 
of the martyrs in, in these times were people on their knees in the Colosseum worshipping while the lions are running towards them. Not in a frantic state, not chaotic, not, not spitting, uh, swearing, cursing all over the place. They probably prayed the same prayer, Lord forgive them. But they are so aware of the holiness of God. And when we, when we agree on the holiness of God, it says that He will bless um, obedience. Deuteronomy 28. He will bless obedience and He will um, punish sin. That's the holiness of God. He cannot do the one and not the other. So, so they are saying, Lord, when will you punish sin? Because we know in your holiness you are going to do this. We're just asking when. They're not asking why did we die. They are asking when are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to respond in your holiness to these sinful acts of men on earth? And he answers them. He says to them, just wait a little more. Just wait. It will, it will happen, but not now. It, it's a, a bit more time. That's the fifth seal. Then the, the sixth seal, um, I'm going to read to you. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Um, again, just before we read this, we cannot shift from symbolic interpretation to literal interpretation here. Um, before this piece, we interpreted the Bible in a symbolic way. We interpreted, not the Bible, these verses in a symbolic, in, in Revelation, in a symbolic way. John um, describes what he sees in, a, in symbols and in letters and in and, and, and various ways he tried to describe what he sees. We cannot now go over and move over to a literal interpretation. So these images that is used here is not literally happening. It's symbolic images of the judgment of God on the earth. God is starting to pour out his judgment because he said to this group around the throne, just a little while, he's starting to pour out his judgment over the earth. Okay, And there's a certain response. This is not the final judgment because that is the seventh seal that we will do next week. But this is the this is God um, actually pouring out his judgment on the earth. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the, the kings of the earth, it describes seven spheres. It's just saying that everyone is under this judgment of God. But listen to, to what the, um, the people cry out. The martyrs said in, in this, the fifth seal, they said, when will you avenge our blood from the, inherit the inhabitants of the earth? These guys on earth now is saying the following. Calling to the mountains and the rocks, verse 16. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? It says hide us. We're afraid. Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hide us. I want to read to you Psalm 2 and I hope... This piece is nicer than the Afrikaans one. Psalm 2 verse 12, it says, Kiss the Son. Speaking about Jesus, kiss the Son, 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and bless are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son um, because otherwise his wrath you will perish. What is this saying? It says that if you resist the authority of Jesus, you reject his authority, he will, the grace is limited and he will, you will experience his wrath. You, will, you do not, and I do not want to experience His wrath. We should bow before Him here on earth, because one day we will all bow before Him in heaven. But then it's too late. Then there's no more grace. We should bow now and say, Lord, we submit ourselves to Your authority, Jesus. We're kissing the Son. We're bowing ourselves down, saying, You are worthy, like the, it's sung in heaven. You are worthy. You are holy. You are the only true God, and it's not me. Because that's what prevents us from bowing our knees, that we think we're gods and we can do whatever we want and we can, um, you know, just go on. Um, we should submit to the one and only true God. Jesus says, I am the way, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's no one. There's no way to go to the Father except through me. There is no way. It's only the way of Jesus, the way of the Lamb on the throne. There is no other way. And we should bow our knee before him um, it was so interesting to me that in this portion as well and and even the the previous chapters we can see that we we do not deserve special treatment because we are christians we do not we will be persecuted we will suffer we will um, people will say evil things of us you will maybe not be popular. You might lose your, um, have to say no to some of your ambitions, your plans, your dreams, your desires. Because you're laying down your life to find the real life of God. Okay? So, um, it's important for us to know this. Now, one question that I continually hear that we ask because of this is, listen, how do I evangelize people now? <laughs> How do I tell them that, um, you know, Jesus is, is all this and this and this? And I want to just respond to that. Um, when, when did we as believers start to believe that we have to be reps selling a product to people? Because it's when we are trying to sell something that we want to, to make it um, sound great to them we color it in we tell of all the blessings and everything that will go good but people don't really submit to the lordship of Jesus they use the product for their life and then they put it back on the shelf again oh my marriage is broken let me just put put a bit Jesus sauce on that and then I'm going to put it back again that's using a product that's not bowing before a person and if we are reps for the kingdom then that will happen. But we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8 says, that convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not me and not you. We don't have to convince anyone. It's, it's again that, that words of that, that, um, that resounds in my head that says, don't try to defend Jesus, just let him loose. Tell, him, tell, tell the people as it is, as he is. You know, nowhere in Scripture, in any gospel, in, in the book of Acts, there's a gospel preached where the grace and the love of God is the centerpiece. It's actually a fear of judgment. And every single sermon, and it's recorded, 
Acts 2, the first sermon ever preached by Peter, um, when, 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 um, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, the first sermon after the Holy Spirit was poured out, was you are murderers and you should repent, otherwise God is going to judge you. Go and read the sermon. It's my own paraphrase. It's actually worse and harder than that. What was the response of the people? It says, Acts 2, 37 and 38, it says they were cut to the heart. They wanted to bow. And what did he tell them? He said, repent, be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's when we want to take the offense of the gospel out of the gospel. But then we sell a product to people. And we tell them, we, we, we create a Jesus that is acceptable for culture. We create a Jesus that is acceptable for, for us. The Bible doesn't change. It's not going to change. I don't care what is legalized. It's not changing. <laughs> it's not changing. Jesus is not fitting into every single generation and changing his message to, to, to suit every single generation. No, we bow before him now. Or otherwise we will bow before him one day and then there's no more grace. There's a lot of grace now if we bow. We can use it forever and ever and ever. And we can experience real life. We can experience the, the life of God in us. The peace of God. The true peace. Not a false peace. The true peace of a life surrendered to Christ. That is worth a lot more than any false claim or promise of grace and love and guidance that is just not true. So don't let us as a church, if you can just hear me on this, let's not preach a gospel or testify of a Jesus that's weak and timid and intimidated by culture, by people, by our opinions, by what we think is good or not. He is not. He is the King of Kings, the Lamb on the throne, slain because of our sins, and He will rule and reign. And His gospel will be preached. We either accept it or we resist it. And then we will be persecuted. Light against darkness. We will be persecuted economically. We, will, we might die because of some nature disaster. That can happen to us. So, so let us not as believers try to, to believe or preach a gospel that's acceptable. Preach the gospel of the Bible. And testify to what Jesus has done in your life. And what he did in scripture. And let's not, let's not deviate from that. Okay? We're not selling a product. We're asking people to bow. We're testifying and saying bow before a person. And when they bow, they will experience true life. And they will experience everything that you and I have experienced. Revelation says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Testify of what Jesus has done in your life. He's done amazing things in my life. That I know he wants to do for everyone because he's no respecter of person. And I can testify to that. That there is no greater God. He will heal you. He will deliver you. He will set you free. But you need to bow your knee. There's no life before death. You need to die and then life will come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we as an audience want to bow our knees again before you. And we want to declare that you are... The lamb that was slain on the throne is no one like you. We submit our lives to you. We submit our hearts, our plans, our ambitions, our desires. And we say all honor and glory belongs to you. 
You are the centerpiece of our attention. You're the centerpiece of heaven. Everything was made, Jesus, for you and through you. And there's no one like you. And there's no greater privilege for us than to follow you and to testify of your goodness and your grace and your love and your holiness and your judgment. Everything. The whole gospel to the whole world. We thank you that you will use us. We're not reps, we're witnesses. We don't have to convince. You do the convincing through your spirit. And you do it much better than we can ever do it. We thank you that we can again today bow our knee before you and say we want to be obedient to your voice, to your commands, to what you say. You are in charge of everything. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys must have a wonderful Sunday. Bless you.